Say Jesus. 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 One more time. Jesus. Jesus. Let us not forget the name Jesus when we gather together. I'm not interested in an academic exercise or in a ritual or you fill in the blank. When we gather together, whether it's here or in our classes or groups or prayer times, Jesus. Amen. Jesus. Thank you for that worship this morning. Well, we are continuing in Jonah chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 4 through 9 today. Have you ever heard the phrase, you made your bed, now lie in it? Anybody? If I had a dollar for every time I heard that phrase, I'd have a few dollars. What about you? Yeah, it's, it's great. Well, what in the world does that mean? What that means, I think, is this. You have created this unpleasant or unfortunate situation, and now, guess what? You must endure it. Or you must deal with it. That's another one of my favorite phrases, deal with it. Anybody ever said that to your kids? Come on, you have, right? Uh, what I call this, uh, this idea here is the convergence of consequences. Because there are consequences we find in the world. I mean, all through my childhood was consequences. I was told to do certain things, and I disobeyed. I'll never forget living in Leadville, Colorado, and running when I wasn't supposed to be running. And guess what? There was a screen door with glass in it. And guess what happened that one day when I was a little guy? Right through it. Now, Mom was a nurse. So she, I didn't get to go to the hospital. She proceeded to pick out every little piece of glass out of me. And that was a consequence enough. And I got other consequences later as soon as I was, you know, free from the glass. I don't know if you've ever heard of that kind of stuff. On the backside, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'll never forget another time when my younger brother was going to deal. He, I don't even remember now. He did something to me, and it made me angry, and he was going to get consequences. He was going to get pummeled by his older brother, right? That's what we did in the morning, morning household. There were five boys in a row. We just passed it down from one to the other. I used to have a chipped tooth here from uh, my older brother who's older than me because I was messing with him, and he popped me one time. I had it fixed, so you can't tell, but I promise it's a true story. But anyway, I am chasing my little brother throughout the house uh, on 15th Street in Alamogordo, and he went into a closet. And by the time I was angry, so there was consequences for me as well, right? By the time I opened the door, he was loaded up with that good old BB gun, and he let me have it. Boom, right there. It just stunned me enough to go down and go, ow, and fall in the bed that he got away. So Really, I guess the consequences were for me and not for him, but lots of times we make our bed and then we have to deal with the consequences or endure it. Well, we finished last week with the phrase in verse 3 of Jonah chapter 1, but Jonah. And I think it's great that today we get going in verse 4 and no longer is it but Jonah, but now that, that was his reaction to the will of God, but now we see in verse 4, but the Lord, not but Jonah, but the Lord, however the Lord, then the Lord. So we begin to see God's reaction to a believer who is out of fellowship, who is out of the will of God. You see, for a follower of Jesus, a follower of Jesus who is on the run from God, mark my words, there will be discipline from God. God can use whatever means necessary to bring his wayward child back in line with his will. Are you aware of that? Listen, we believe and celebrate that God is creator of the universe, don't we? That God, I mean, he's God. So logically, let's remember, he can use anything he wants to bring us back in line. 
And if you've lived long enough as a Christian, you understand some of those different ways that God has used you in your life and in my life, ways to bring us back into line. We find this true with the prophet Jonah. One preacher said it this way. I like this. Disobedience always disturbs deity. You think about that. Yes, God is patient, but God is not just sitting, sitting there saying, hey, Christian, do whatever you want. No, it's, it's disturbing. Make no mistake about it. There will always be consequences that come to the disobedient. Now, folks, I'm talking about believers. I'm not talking about lost folks. Lost folks act like lost folks. We shouldn't expect them to act like followers of Jesus Christ. And yet we do all the time, don't we? How about we think about us followers acting like followers of Jesus Christ? Well, here's the big idea today I want you to get. God will catch us and God will discipline us while we run from him in disobedience. And we see a great picture of that. God will catch us. He's faster than us. And he will discipline us while we are running from him, from his will, in disobedience. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for our time together. I thank you for folks that are here, for folks who are watching online, just for people to gather together, thinking about God, thinking about Jesus, thinking about salvation, thinking about the will of God, thinking about how we are to live our lives and how God, we're thinking about how we are to impact our world, to be winsome and different, to exhibit your attributes, to exhibit the fruit of your spirit in our lives. And God, we pray that you would help us. You would help us understand, but more than that, you would help us, God, to act. So we thank you for your presence here. We thank you for your word, every single word of your word, and how it is applicable to us today, just like it was the moment it was written. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So remember, Jonah is, is what I talked about, a uh, biblical prophetic narrative. It's not just a fish story. It's not just this idea or, or, or this allegory or whatever. It's just exactly how God wanted it, and it's something that happened. Remember, we're not going to go back and do that, but Jesus even commentated on the fact that he believed it to be real. We find that in the New Testament. So we know Jonah was a prophet of God. And not only was he running from the will of God, but now he is getting ready to and beginning to face the consequences of not proclaiming God's word. God gave him a word and he wasn't proclaiming it. So Jonah experienced God's hand of discipline. And guess what happened? Other people, other people suffered for his disobedience as well. Do you ever think about that? It involved other people, and we'll see that today. Let me ask you this question this morning. Have you ever been corrected by God? Don't raise your hand. Please don't raise your hand. person next to you might move over another extra seat. Don't do that. But have you ever been corrected by God? Perhaps a more penetrating question today is this. Are you perhaps going through a God-ordained, God-ordered, and God-orchestrated storm? Perhaps you are. Perhaps you're not. I've heard it said this way. We're either getting ready to go into a storm, we're in a storm, or we're coming out of a storm. I think that can be true a lot in life. Well, let's look at verses 4 through 9, Jonah chapter 1. Then, or but, the Lord hurled 
a violent wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid. Good response. And each cried out to his God. Notice now God is a lowercase g. Did you catch that? I hope your scripture has it that way. It should, okay? So they cry out to their God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel. <laughs> Look at this. And had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. Now, don't be a hater. Some of you don't sleep well, and you're like, man, I wish I could fall into a deep sleep. Well, I don't know if Jonah always could fall into deep sleep, but in the midst of this storm, there he is in a deep sleep. Verse 6, the captain approached him and said, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up. Call to your God. Now, notice that's a lowercase g. Uh, maybe this God will consider us, and we won't perish. Verse 7, come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Then we will know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots, and the lot singled out, guess who? Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business? Where are you from? What is your country? And what people are you from? They're covering just about everything, aren't they there? In verse 9, Jonah answered them, I am a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh. You remember that name, don't you? That covenantial name of God. So sacred they wouldn't write it out. And he says that to them. He confesses, if you will, I worship Yahweh, the God, capital G, the God of the heavens, the God who made the sea and the dry land. So the first thing, three things today, the first thing we're exposed to or confronted with is what I call the storm, and we see it in verse 4. And it's a very interesting word that's used there. God literally caused a storm to be, here's the word, hurled out. It's baseball season, so I kind of picture a, you know, a 98-mile-an-hour fastball or a really biting slider or... I don't know, a, a frisbee, whatever you want to think, but think of the energy expended in hurling something out. Actually, I saw a video, video, I think, this morning, I think it was about the bobcat. Did some of y'all see that? The wife was confronted with that, and, the, and it's a grainy video, but the husband has a bobcat, and I had read about it, but he hurls it with all his strength. Now, I only went probably about six feet, but still, you know. Just think of what is expended in hurling out something, and this is what God calls to happen. The scripture tells us he hurled out a storm. I think it's interesting to note that Jonah had disobeyed God, yet did you notice, read between the lines, the waters, the wind, they have no problem obeying God and the word of God. You see, God had tried to send Jonah, and now God sends a wind. God sends a storm. Ultimately, God sends a fish. I think there's a principle here for us to look at and to know. Nature's elements obey God. We may not understand it, but nature's elements obey Creator God. But often, God's people do not obey God. Listen to Psalm 135, verse 7. Psalm 135, verse 7 says this. 
He, talking about God, he causes the clouds to rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings the wind from his storehouses. Psalm 148, verses 7 and 8. Praise the Lord from the earth, all sea monsters and ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and cloud, powerful wind. We know that in New Mexico, don't we? Powerful wind that executes his command. We could go on and on and on with scripture about how God's creation, his nature, obeys him always. And yet we, his people, sometimes have trouble with that. D.L. Moody D.L. Moody said it this way. I like this. Disobedience always leads to troubled waters. I've experienced that. Have you? That's a pithy statement, isn't it? Disobedience always leads to troubled waters. Know this, church. I believe God uses storms in life to confront and correct his wayward children. To confront and correct his wayward children. It's happened to me many times. What about you? It's happened to my family. What about you? It happens. When God saves saves us, when we place our, our trust in him, when we are transformed, regenerated, that's serious business. And unfortunately, sometimes sin gets in the way, and we are not that serious about the Christian walk, about following the Lord, being in the center of his will. And it's hard. I recognize that because of that sin nature we have. So God sends storms sometimes. And here we see this is what is at work. God is at work in the prodigal prophet's life. And of course, I remember the famous verse, Romans 8, 28. And I think that can be applied to Jonah's life here. I know it was written later, but it can be applied to his life, just like it can be applied to our life right now, whether you are headed towards a storm, you're in a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who what? Are called according to his purposes. This is not a principle for everyone on planet Earth to claim. This is a principle for us to appropriate in our lives as Christians, as followers of Christ. As people of the way, as, as, as those who put the spotlight on Jesus, on God's grace and his love. Wow. The storms that God sends are not just to get our attention. I want you to catch this. So often we have this false notion that God sends storms to get our attention. Now that is true, right? But I think there's so much more to it. Storms are also sent to call us to action. You are missing out, Christian, if you just think that storm, whatever it might be, gets your attention. That's good. I need to have my attention focused on God. But if we don't get called into action, what good is it to get our attention? Maybe I pray a little more fervently. Maybe I try to check off the the do's and the don'ts a little more. But how about action? And I think that's so important. That just speaks to me. God has really centered that in on me this week, that phrase. Lamar, how about action? How about doing something in the kingdom? Well, the storm was so great, the scripture tells us that the ship was about to burst or break in pieces. That's what it really means. It wasn't just going to be a glub, 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 glub. Let's bail as fast as we can. The picture literally is bursting into pieces. This is a significant storm. I will confess something to you this morning. 
I'm not afraid to die, but one way I don't want to die, are you ready for this? And I think it comes from a movie from the 1970s. As I said, we, we got late to the theater, me and my older cousins there in Denver, and we're on the front row. Have you ever been on the front row of a movie theater back in the day when they were like that? I mean, the front row, you were, you were like, when you left the theater, you couldn't bend, you know, you couldn't bend your neck because you're like that. Well, there was this movie called Jaws. Have anybody heard of it? <laughs> now, you youngsters have seen it, but you see it on TV. We saw it on the big screen. And from the moment that... You know, came out of the hole, that head, and then the, and I know it was a mechanical fish, but I have a fear uh, that I would not like to die in the ocean, glub, 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 or even worse, chomp, chomp, chomp. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing because that's not your fear, but if I was sharing your fear, it'd be different. Wow. So this, again, I'm visual. I can picture this. I would be frantic and afraid like these guys. This is going to be serious stuff. Let me read to you Hebrews 12, verses 6 and 7. Let's get back to thinking about why the storms are there, how God disciplines his followers. Hebrews 12, 6 and 7. For the Lord, there it is again, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Okay, we're sons and daughters, aren't we? We're children of the king. And listen to this next statement. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? Why would we think it would be any different with God? You see, God always accomplishes his his purposes in his timing. Take heart, church. God loves his children. And therefore, disciplines them. You see, we can trust God even when we cannot trace him. We can trust him. So that's the storm, verse 4. And then we look at verses 5 through 7, and we see something else. Now the picture is on the sailors. The sailors. And I am reminded once again, as I've read this passage over and over, how disobedience from God's children affects others. You may not realize that, but your discipline and my discipline affects other people around us. You see, Scripture shows us that others were in peril because of what? Jonah's sin, his disobedience, him not being in the center of God's will. And I think about today, and I see it all the time, uh, children are affected by their parents' disobedience, and vice versa. Parents are affected by their children's disobedience. Associates are affected by the alcoholic. The populace is affected by the disobedience of the politicians. I thought I'd get an amen. That's all right. (laughs) We could go on and on and on, can't we? The idea that we are cloistered and in some monastery or convent is ridiculous. We are to live and we're commanded to live out the Christian life out in the marketplace, out in the school, out in the neighborhood. We're commanded to do that. And people are watching, but even more than that, people sometimes are affected by our disobedience. I feel better. Well, let's look at these guys. First of all, they're afraid. The scripture uses that word. They are afraid. What does that word mean? They're frightened for their lives. Secondly, what do they do? They cry out. Literally, are you ready? That phrase in the Hebrew language, literally that cry out means shriek from anguish. 
This is not like, oh, help me. Oh, wow, how do we get into this? Shrieking from anguish. Why? They know they are going to die. These are sailors. They've been on these waters. I believe probably they've never experienced exactly what they're experiencing right now. They've never experienced a storm that God has hurled out. And so they shriek from anguish. They're frightened. They're afraid. They cry out. And look who they cry out to. Their God. I'd say it this way. They cry out to their higher power. That which is on their shelf back home. Or that which they learned a mantra or something from childhood or culture or whatever. And so they cry out to the God. Here's a principle for you. When desperate, people go to their God, whatever it is. For some, we know it's money. They go to their money. For others, it's substances. They go to their substances. Relationships. They go to their relationships. We could go on and on and on. But people do that. When desperate, they go to their God. How sad this is when the God of the universe, the God of the Bible, is right there and right with us. And we must be careful, too, that we don't turn to some God, some higher power, lower G, in a weak moment, but that we always turn to God, Yahweh, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator. Hmm. They're scared. They're frightened. They cry out. And then they do what every good American adult does. They take matters into their own hands. Do you see that? Read between the lines. They take matters into their own hands. When in trouble, what happens often? What is our go-to? When in trouble, especially us guys, come on guys, we try to fix the problem in our own power. Now, if I had a dollar for every time I was told, don't try to fix it, I would have a lot of money, okay? We tend to do that. We think, okay, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to make it right. And these sailors are no different. What do they do? Scripture shows us they get rid of cargo. Have you thought about that for a minute? Have you thought about getting rid of cargo? I bet maybe you just read right on by that. You're ready to get to the great fish, aren't you? And you miss that they jettisoned cargo. Isn't it interesting that our values change when we are facing death? Have you noticed that? I've had some interesting conversations with people who are facing death. The conversations are different than they had throughout their life, perhaps. And here we see these guys, these heathens, these pagans, who are crying out to their lowercase g, God, and they're jettisoning the cargo. You see, if you're about to die, guess what doesn't matter? Money doesn't matter. Livelihood does not matter when you are facing death. You see, everyone has a, a scale of values. Everyone does. Now, it may be different than your scale, but everyone, everyone that I've ever met, they have a scale or a system of values, but they're not always in line with God's values, are they? Even for Christians, sometimes our system, our scale gets, uh, gets out of whack, and it's not in line with God's values. You see, it's paramount. It's of great importance if we don't have a relationship with the true God, the God of the Bible, before trouble comes, we're really in trouble and we will turn to something else. Church, 
I want to read to you some scripture, and I think this should be our priority. In fact, I've been praying over us this week this scripture. You may want to jot it down. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. I want you to think about this situation and what people do and what's going on. Listen to Philippians 1, 9 through 11, and think about praying this over your family or your church or yourself. And I pray this that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Oh, I pray that would happen with us. Well, back to the great narrative. We've got the storm. We've got these sailors. They've taken matters into their own hands. And then they discover something. They find the prophet of God asleep. What a contrast. Can you see the contrast that's here today? What an amazing contrast. They are fighting for their lives. They are dumping their livelihood, just just throwing it away. And the prophet is asleep. Now, read the scripture one more time. You see, this is not a power nap. I love power naps. Anybody here like power naps? Man, 15 minutes and I can go again. In fact, my family gets upset with me at night because sometimes we'll be watching TV or doing something and I'll take a power nap. And then they're ready to go to bed and I'm good for another couple hours, right? This is not a power nap. This is deep, sound sleep. The sailors are, quote-unquote, praying and acting, and Jonah, the prophet, is sleeping through God's judgment. How about this saying? Sin causes spiritual stupor. Have you noticed that? Sin causes spiritual stupor. It's like some drug that numbs us. Well, I have pondered this over and over. Why asleep? Why are you asleep? And I've come to a number of ideas, but one thing I think is this. Perhaps the storm outside paled in comparison to the storm that's going inside of Jonah. Do you think the, the moment but Jonah decided to do his thing, don't you think there was a storm? that was raging inside of him. I don't know about you, but when I do something contrary to the Lord's will, almost immediately there begins to be something inside of me that begins to process and rage and storm. Have you experienced that? That's a good sign you know that you're truly a follower of Christ is, is when you're like, ah, you know, God is not going to let that be, and I, I, just, I just know, you know inside that you, you need to, to deal with that. But regardless, there's one guy on board who has a relationship with the true God, who knew God's word, who, we find out later, who worshiped God, all these things, and he is out. He is out. Hmm, What a picture for us. I think the, the sign, the blinking warning sign for us as Christians is this. Be alert. Be alert. We cannot be indifferent to the storms 
that are raging in our world and our lives. We cannot just poo-poo them. We can't do that. We must be aware and be alert of the storms that are going on, not so we can gripe and whine about them, but so we can be called to action to do our part and to redouble our efforts. Buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. I'm going to read some stuff to you. I want you to really think about it. Have an open heart here. Jonah slept in a hidden place. Sleeping Christians hide out in the church. Ouch. Jonah slept in a place where he could not help. Sleeping Christians stay away from God's work. Jonah slept and missed the prayer meeting. Sleeping Christians don't do much praying. Jonah slept and had no clues of the problems. Sleeping Christians don't know what is going on around them. And Jonah slept while the heathen needed him. Sleeping Christians snooze while the world is dying for the gospel message and for their Christian testimony. We cannot be sleeping Christians. Let me give you a bit more application this morning. Some sleeping Christians would protest that they are asleep. So let me just take a shot across the bow in case you have a butt and a qualifier. There is no qualifier for the sleeping Christian. They will say, we talk about Jesus. You can't talk while you're sleeping, Christian. They will say, we have a walk for Jesus. You can't walk in your sleep. They will say, we have a passion for Jesus. You can't cry in your sleep. We have a joy in Jesus. You can't laugh in your sleep. Well, we think about, Pastor, we think about Jesus all the time. You can't think in your sleep. We call that dreaming. It's different. You can't have action. I want to challenge you, church, to deal with the storm. Don't just let it grab your attention but it would, should call you to action. Well, something else we see. There's the chief sailor on board. Isn't that right? Scripture calls him what? The captain. I don't know about today. I was not in the Navy. Andrew could probably tell us about that. But captain is a big deal, right? When you're out on the water, basically captain is God, Right? I mean, it's a big deal. And so the captain here we see in Scripture confronts Jonah. He's the one who comes and confronts Jonah. And there's even more action taken, taking more things into hands. I find it interesting how God uses unusual people to get our attention. Have you noticed that? And I think here's an example in Scripture. God also uses unusual circumstances, even accidents. And here we have a godless captain, and God is using him in this situation. Isn't it ironic that Jonah's reason to be on the ship was to escape his God? Yet the captain and sailors demanded that he call upon his God. Hmm. It's interesting to note that the sailors must have thought that this was a religious problem. How do we know that? Well, they resort to a pagan superstition. It's called casting of lots. First the cargo goes, and then the prayers go, and now they're casting lots. And please don't confuse this version of casting lots with God's system of doing it. That's a whole other story. And unfortunately in Scripture, it didn't go so well even for believers. Okay, So don't come tell me, well, this verse, it shows. No, this is pagans doing a superstition, trying to determine from their gods what might happen here. Okay? Regardless, they're fighting for their lives. Can you picture this? They are fighting for their lives. The captain is involved, and the cause of the trouble we find out 
from the casting of their lots, what? It's the prophet of God, Jonah. So we've had the storm, we've had the sailors, and now the third point here we get to is the sinner. Yes, I'm talking about Jonah. Verses 8 and 9, the sinner. Let's take a look at it. Then they said to him, talking to Jonah, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? And he answered them, I am a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. It's interesting. Uh, They were fine with him paying his way and being cargo, if you will, on this trip. Hey, it's extra profit. And now all of a sudden, wait, what's going on here? I think what we see here in these verses, we see an interrogation and we see a confession. Make no mistake, though, the sinner in this situation is God's prophet Jonah. And there's the interrogation. We see the questions that are listed there. They want to know uh, who this troublemaker is. Who are you? What have you done? Listen, when we are being studied by others, when we are studied by those who are even seeking truth, How will our lives stack up? What will be the response? Will it be evident to those who are seeking meaning and purpose in life? Or will our lives be confusing to them? So the confession comes. Have you noticed that as humans, sometimes we don't confess until we're caught? I like to differentiate between confession and repentance. You may think I'm splitting hairs, but sometimes confession is simply what? Because I got caught, right? Anybody had kiddos, grandkids? Yeah. Confession can be real, but not until what? (laughs) You're found out. You're caught. I'm reminded of 2 Samuel 12, the great, great King David in his sin. And confession does not come, does it, until what? He is confronted with it by the prophet Nathan. Sometimes we do not confess until we're caught. And, and here, this confession, these guys learn something about the situation. They discover a runaway prophet, a disobedient prophet, a preacher who didn't like his message, a missionary who didn't like the mission field. Ouch. Warren Wearsby summarizes in this way. I'd like to read it. God was no longer speaking to Jonah through his word. He was speaking to him through his works, the sea, the wind, the rain, the thunder, and even the great fish. Everything in nature obeyed God except his servant. And God even spoke to Jonah through the heathen sailors who didn't know Jehovah. It's a sad thing when a servant of God is rebuked by pagans. And I may have mentioned this to you. I'll never forget going back to Almogordo. To share, I wanted to share, I'd just come off of Summer of Continentals, and I wanted to share Christ with some of the guys I ran with. And from more than one, you know what I got? Don't tell me about that. I know what, how you acted. You did some of the same stuff that we did. Was that a sobering moment for me? What about you? It's a sad thing when the servant of God is rebuked by pagans. So let me close with a few questions this morning. As we wrap up, I really want you to think about this this morning. Why is it that we run from God? Maybe you can answer that question for yourself. Why is it that we run from God? And what are ways we damage our Christian witness 
before others. Maybe you haven't thought about that. I would encourage you to think about that. Maybe even take the risk and ask questions about that to see what God is showing you. How about this question? What kind of discipline are you facing from the Lord? You see, Jonah knew the truth about God. He's God's prophet. I mean, come on. <laughs> He's right up here, and he knew the truth about God. So my question, even more penetrating this morning, for those of you, you may be online or you may be right here, do you? Do you know the truth about God? Have you responded to his grace? Scripture is clear that God loved us so much that he sent his one of a kind, his one and only, his only begotten son, Jesus, so that we would not have to perish, but instead that God could give us eternal life. God demonstrated his love in this way, that while we were sinners, there was action. Christ Jesus died for us. This is the gospel. And by God's grace, he offers to us, he gives us the faith, and he offers to us a chance to respond and trust, to place our faith in him. And scripture makes it clear, everyone who calls on his name, what's going to happen? Shall be saved. We call it salvation. Has that happened in your life today? God has this rescue plan for us and wants to save us. Have you responded to his grace? See, I believe God is calling each of us this morning. For some, God is calling right now you to be saved, you to begin that relationship with God. That will continue on through your life and will culminate in eternity with him in heaven. Will you respond? I think God's calling some of us today to look at the storm in a different way, Christian. How, you, how will you respond to that? I think some of us today, that God is calling us not just to get our attention, but calling us to action. And he'll customize that, whatever it might be for us. It won't be the exact same thing for you it is for me. But God is our personal God who works daily in our lives, right? He works hourly in our lives. He works minute by minute in our life. And hopefully we will be receptive. God, help us not to be like Jonah and run from you. God, help us to run to you. And even in the midst of of our loving Heavenly Father disciplining us. Help us even in the midst of that to realize how much, God, you love us. And God, you want to complete the good work you've begun in our lives. And God, you want to chisel away at us and make us more and more like Jesus each day. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this great narrative this morning as we continue in it. And I thank you for words from your word. And God, my prayer this morning is that you would wake us up. You would help us to run to you. And God, I pray for decisions that need to be made. I think all of us have a decision to make. But you confront us with it.
from your word. You're speaking into our hearts. God, help us to be open and receptive. God, I want to pray for those who need to trust you, who need to take the first step. God, I pray that you would save people today or this week as they watch our service. They would not run from you, but run to you. God, we know that Jesus died for our sin. He took upon himself our sin. And God, we know that he did not stay dead. We celebrate your word that on the third day, resurrection occurred. And we thank you, Jesus, that you now are preparing a place for us. You're at the right hand of the throne of God. You're interceding on our behalf. We're grateful that we can claim your promises. We're grateful that we can be a part of your rescue plan. So we thank you for that. God, we pray that we would share that with others. God, I continue to pray that we would have opportunities just to share our testimony. God, that you would give us opportunities to share with others who may be like the sailors or the captain that need to know the good news, the gospel of Jesus. So God, we pray for that. And I pray today, God, that whatever is holding someone back, that they would respond to you. Thank you, God, for calling us. God, it's scary to think that we might ask for you to wake us up because that involves discipline. But we ask for that today. We love you, God. And for, for those of us who love you, for those of us who are called according to your purposes, for those of us who have that relationship with you, who call ourselves Christians, God, help us to know that everything, not just the good stuff, but the difficult stuff, the disciplining, works for the good. God, I pray that this would be a powerful week for us as we invade our city, as we tell people that we love them and that God loves them, as we try to live a life, not on our own power, but through your power, God, where, where people would see that there is a difference. God, help me to respond better to circumstances, realizing that they may be you orchestrating action in my life. I pray that we would be sensitive to your spirits convicting and working and leading in our lives. So God, we thank you for this great story and we're reminded it's so much more than a kid's story. It's a picture of what we do with you, God. So God, I just want to pray for us and just continuing to pray that you would touch our lives that we would be reminded of Philippians 1, 9 through 11. That your love would keep growing in us. That we would have discernment. That we would know the things that are superior. We would know the things that are pure and blameless. That you would give us the fruit of your righteousness that comes only through Jesus. And that we would give glory and praise to you, God. May this be the mark of Hoffentown folk. So thank you for our time today, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you and join together. Thank you for our great classes and for Bible study and community and doing life together. We're just so grateful, Lord. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.